0: Well, good morning again, friends. We're going to be continuing our series through the Book of Isaiah today, and I don't know about you, but I've really appreciated this summer in this uh, exploration, looking at the nature and character of God as revealed in the book of Isaiah. We've seen some powerful truths. You know, when I was 20 years old, I did something that I promise you I will never do again. When I was a sophomore in college, I was a uh, summer intern at Wooddale Church in their youth ministry program. And Wooddale has uh, an annual uh, ministry trip, missions trip, they take to a camp up in the Canadian Rockies. It's, and uh, it's called Project Canada. And it's kind of a rite of passage for their, their uh, graduating senior class. And so as a, as a college student intern, I was one of the staff members who went along on this trip. And one of the highlights of this trip every year is what is called the Tyrolean Traverse. And I've got a picture on the screen behind me here. A Tyrolean Traverse is basically when you string rock climbing cables across a span, in this case, uh, two cliff faces. And uh, every year, this was one of the challenges that they uh, put before the students. Can you make the Tyrolean Traverse crossing? And friends, I'll tell you what, There have only been a few times in my life when I have known fear. (laughs) Like standing at the edge of this cliff, looking over this tiny, narrow little climbing rope and thinking, you want me to cross over that on that? And I just remember being gripped with fear, being paralyzed with fear. I stood at the edge of that canyon and I looked over 100, 200 feet to the bottom in this raging river that was flowing below us and i just couldn't move i was terrified and all the what ifs started running through my mind you know i mean what if that little rope breaks what if what if the anchors it's tied to pull out of the ground or or, or fail for some reason what if what if this harness i'm wearing doesn't support me and all these thoughts started running through my mind and i was just terrified Well, friends, over the course of about a half an hour, I eventually worked up the courage and I made it across the Tyrolean Traverse. And it was an incredible experience, but like I said, I never want to do it again. (laughs) But you know something I've come to learn over the last 20 years of my life since I did the Tyrolean Traverse? You don't have to stand at the edge of a canyon overlooking a tiny cable to be gripped with fear, to be paralyzed. With the fear of the unknowns and the what-ifs and the concerns because the reality is, is life in itself is very much like that tyrolean traverse and every single one of us we go through times in our life where we feel like we're standing at the edge of this canyon and we know we have to go across but it's traumatizing it's terrorizing and we think to ourselves i don't know if i can do this I don't know if I can make it. And the knot comes to your stomach and that fear grips you. I remember feeling that fear when my mom called me on the phone six years ago and said, Jason, I think your dad is dying. I remember being gripped with that fear last summer when we're sitting in the doctor's office and my wife's being diagnosed with stage three cancer. I remember being gripped with that fear. This past January when another $5,000 medical bill showed up and I just didn't know how we were going to pay it. And every single one of us, we go through life and we experience these times in life and these trials and these challenges and these obstacles and these heartbreaks. And we wonder, God, I don't know if I can do this. I don't know if I can make it. This morning, friends, if you find yourselves paralyzed by fear, if you find yourselves racked by the what-ifs or tormented by trials, I want to tell you this morning, God has a word for you today. Hang on. Hang on. When I was a senior in high school, my youth pastor at Wooddale Church gave me an NIV study Bible as a graduation present. He knew I was going off to Bethel College to be a Bible major and ultimately go to seminary. So he gave me a, a beautiful NIV study Bible. And in the cover of the NIV study Bible, he wrote a little note. And at the end of his note, in quotes, he wrote, Hang on with the verse Isaiah 41 13. And I looked it up in my Bible. In Isaiah 41:13, it says this, For I am the Lord your God, who takes hold of your right hand and says to you, Do not fear, I will help you. What a promise. What an incredible verse. It's been one of my favorite verses ever since my youth pastor wrote that in my Bible, and it's been a verse that sustained me through all sorts of trials and challenges in my life. And this morning, I want to preach on this verse. Some of you are thinking, Jason's going to preach on one verse? That's amazing. Yeah, I want to preach on one verse. Now I'm going to put it in the context of a broader passage. But in this verse, there's some powerful, powerful truths that God has for us this morning. In fact, in this simple verse, there are what I call three pillars of peace that I want to communicate to you this morning. Three pillars of peace that we see about who our incredible God is. Pillar of peace number one this morning that I want to look at is the reality that God calls us to trust his person. Trust his person. He says, I am the Lord your God. I am the Lord your God. Who is this God, friends? Who is this God who declares, I am the Lord your God? If you remember the very first week of this series in Isaiah, I shared with you that quote from A.W. Tozer in his classic book, The Knowledge of the Holy. Dr. Tozer says, there is nothing more important about you than what you think and believe about God. What a person thinks and believes about God will influence every aspect of our lives. Who is this God who says, I am the Lord, your God? Well, in verses 1 through 9 of chapter 41, I told you I was going to set this into a larger context. In verses 1 through 9 of chapter 41, God takes the nations of the world into his heavenly courtroom and he makes the case for why he alone is the one true God above every other God. And as we're going to see, it's an incredible scene. It's almost like a scene right out of a movie. In fact, when I was reading this this week, it reminded me of that classic movie, A Few Good Men, 1992. Tom Cruise, Jack Nicholson, that famous courtroom scene. Jack Nicholson at the end, if you recall, he says, you want answers. Tom Cruise says, I want the truth. And Jack Nicholson says, you can't handle the truth. And as I read this passage this week, I can just imagine God calling in the nations of the world with all of their gods and all of their idols and standing before them and saying, you want the truth? You and your idols and your false gods, you can't handle the truth. Let me tell you who I am. God reveals some incredible truths to us here in verses 1 through 9. Let's read these together. Isaiah 41, verses 1 through 9. And then I want to share with you three key truths that God reveals about himself here. Be silent before me, you islands. Let the nations renew their strength. Let them come forward and speak. Let us meet together at the place of judgment. Who has stirred up one from the east, calling him in righteousness to his service? He hands nations over to him and subdues kings before him. He turns them to dust with his sword, to windblown chaff with his bow. He pursues them and moves on unscathed by a path his feet have not traveled before. Who has done this and carried it through, calling forth the generations from the beginning? I, the Lord, with the first of them and with the last, I am he. The islands have seen it in fear. The ends of the earth tremble. They approach and come forward. Each helps the other and says to his brother, be strong. The craftsman encourages the goldsmith, and he who smooths with the hammer spurs on him. Who strikes with the anvil, he says of the welding, it is good. He nails down the idol so it will not topple. But you, O Israel, my servant Jacob, whom I have chosen, you descendants of Abraham, my friend, I took you from the ends of the earth, from its farthest corners I called you. I said, you are my servant. I have chosen you and have not rejected you. Here in these nine verses, God shares some powerful truths about who he is. The first thing God says to the people, to the nations, He says, Number one, I am judge. I am judge. God calls the nations into His heavenly courtroom to make His case. And when God calls, the nations come because He is the great judge of all creation. And He alone has the right to call the nations to judgment because He's the one who created the nations. He's the one with all authority. When the judge calls, you come. Two years ago, I was called to be a part of a grand jury, and I got a letter in the mail. And for those of you who have been called to jury duty before, you know it's usually nothing you look forward to. But I remember reading through that letter, and it said, if you fail to show up, you can face fines or even imprisonment. And I thought, this is serious. The judge is called. God is the judge of all creation. And here in this passage, we see the God of all things, the judge of all things, calling the nations into his heavenly courtroom so he can make his case for why he alone is God above all. The second thing we see here in verses 1 through 9 is that God is sovereign. Not only is God judge, but God is also sovereign. We see this in verses two through four, where God, prophetically, as Pastor Rick talked about last week, talking about the coming of Cyrus, this great conqueror from the Persian Empire, who was over a hundred years in the future yet. God, in verses 2 through 4, talks to the people of Israel. He says, Who has stirred up one from the east, calling him in righteousness to his service? He hands nations over to him and subdues kings before him. He turns them to dust with his sword. Who has done this, God says. Friends, God is prophesying this a hundred years in the future. He's telling the people of Israel and all the nations, look at when this conqueror comes and starts marching across the world and conquering kings and nations, who is really the sovereign behind all of this? God says, I am the one who does this. I am the one who who is called this one from the east. I am the one who makes his path level and lays waste to the nations in front of him. Friends, God is the author of history. History literally is his story. And what you need to understand about the sovereignty of God this morning, friends, is there is nothing that takes place in this world, and there is nothing that happens in our lives that is outside of God's sovereign knowledge and love for us. He's in control of it all. Now, that's not always easy for us to to hang on to, is it? Because a lot of times, the stuff that comes into our lives, we we like to sit there and think, you know, God, what are you doing here? I mean, yeah, you're sovereign and you're in control, but what is the deal? Why are you allowing me to go through this right now, Lord? How does this play into your loving plan for my life you know, I think a lot of times when it, when it comes to the sovereignty of God, I, I, I feel like we're, we're sort of like a, the story I heard about this little boy who heard that a circus was coming to town. And there was going to be a circus parade on a Saturday afternoon. And this little boy was so excited to see the circus. And, and it, he ran to, this, uh, to the street on the afternoon of the parade. And, and the street was just packed. And he couldn't find a place to view the parade. And, and he was so excited because he heard the parade had lions. And he wanted to see the lions. And, and so the pr- little boy, he found a little empty, vacant lot. And he broke into this empty, vacant lot. And there was a fence that butted up right against the street. And through a tiny little knothole in the fence, this little boy, he could watch the parade. And the parade started making its way down the street. And this little boy through the fence, sure enough, he saw the clowns come by. And he saw the jugglers come by. And he saw the musicians come by. But as he waited and as he watched, he became disappointed because he didn't see the lions. And after watching for a few minutes, the boy got up and walked away sad and discouraged because he was so excited to see the lions, but the lions weren't coming. But friends, if that little boy had just climbed up the tree that was behind him and scaled out on the branch that overlooked the whole street, the little boy would have seen the parade from beginning to end. And he would have seen that the lions were just down the street and they were on their way. And, you know, I feel like sometimes in my own life, and I'm sure this is the case for many of us here, I, I feel like I'm that little boy and I just, I'm waiting for God to do something and to unveil his plan for my life. And, and especially in the trials and the tribulations and the heartbreak we go through and it just doesn't make sense and I'm watching and I'm waiting And all along, God is saying, Jason, trust me. If you could see, Jason, from my heavenly vantage point, if you could see the scope of your life and the scope of history, you would understand how everything that I allow you to experience in your life is part of my loving plan for you. Friends, God is sovereign. He's in control. And there is nothing in your life that happens by chance. There is nothing that catches God off guard. Cyrus in 539 is no more of a fluke than any of the events in your life today. God is sovereign over every event in history. And every single moment of every single day of your life is one more demonstration of God saying, I am. I am. The third thing we see in these verses, in verses 8 through 9, we see that God is Savior. He's a judge. He's sovereign, but he's also Savior. God says to Israel, I've called you from the far corners, from the ends of the earth. Now, friends, this was geographically true. Abraham had been called from the land of Ur, from, from the farthest reaches of the known world. God called Abraham to be the father of the nation of Israel. And in the same way, God has called his church from the farthest corners of the world. I mean, we've got Christians here this morning from Quito, Ecuador. We've got Christians here from China. We've got Christians here all the way from North Branch, for Pete's sake. <laughs> God has called us from the ends of the earth. But friends, more than just speaking geographically here, God is speaking metaphorically in a sense. When he says, I have called you from the ends of the earth. If you recall, Romans 3.23, the Apostle Paul says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And friends, you need to understand that God and his holiness and us and our fallenness, we are as far from God as the east is from the west. And yet, in spite of this incredible distance between us and our ugly sin and God's pure holiness, God calls us in love because he wants a relationship with us and he offers to be our savior what an incredible message the gospel is the good news john three sixteen for god so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him whoever responds to his call will not perish but we'll have everlasting life. God is our judge. He's sovereign. He's savior. And friends, when you understand the reality of who God is, the idols of this world look absolutely absurd in comparison. Why would you turn to anyone or anything besides the God of the universe? This is why in verses 5 through 7, God highlights for us the foolishness of idolatry. Pastor Rick talked some about this last week, but look at this. I mean, God just mocks the false idols and the false gods of the nations here. Verses five through seven, the islands have seen it in fear. They see Cyrus marching. The ends of the earth tremble. They're afraid to be conquered. They approach, they come forward, and each of them helps the other. They say to their brother, be strong, brother. And the craftsman encourages the goldsmith, and he who smooths with a hammer spurs on him who strikes the anvil. And they say of the welding, it is good. Can you get the picture here? The nations are coming forward into God's heavenly courtroom and they see the terror taking place around the world and they tremble with fear. And so they gather each other up and they say, come on, we can do this. Let's pull ourselves up by our bootstraps. You know, let's be strong. Let's get tough. Let's just make another idol. If we had another idol, maybe our idols would help us. I'm going to get the wood. I'm going to start carving. You will get the gold. We'll work together. And they fashion this idol... And this idol is so pathetic, God says, that they have to nail it down to keep it from toppling over. And God is just mocking the absurdity, the foolishness of idolatry. I don't know about you, but I've traveled all over the world and I've seen this foolishness in action. I've seen the processions of people carrying their gods, their idols, their homemade idols through the streets. Friends, if you understand who God is, the true God of the universe, we don't carry God. He carries us. How foolish, how silly is idolatry? And you know something, friends, we laugh we laugh at these other religions that carry their idols around, that fashion them out of blocks of wood and you know, decorate them with ornate jewels and gold. We laugh at how silly that is, but the reality is, is we too have idols. Every one of us wrestles with idolatry, whether it's our money or popularity or pornography or a job, or your sport, or your hobby, or alcohol, or your body image, all of us have idols that we wrestle with in our lives. And just like those craftsmen in Isaiah 41, we also go to absurd lengths to prop up our idols, don't we? The secrets we keep, the lies we tell, the damage we're willing to do to ourselves and to others to keep our idols safe and secure and here's the whole irony about idolatry we turn to these idols for peace but in the end they just end up wearing us out isn't that right you see the idols they never satisfy and they always demand more and we give and the more we give the more our idols demand from us they promise peace but it's a false promise Idolatry never satisfies. Many in the Christian community were saddened this past week to hear of the pastor of the largest church in America, Perry Noble, who was forced to resign from his ministry in South Carolina. Perry Noble had a terrific, successful ministry reaching people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. But Perry Noble, in his admission to his church, he says, I made the church an idol. And he was a workaholic, and he put his church in making it grow and succeed above everything else in his life. And you know, making his church his idol, he became stressful and overwhelmed with anxiety, and so Perry Noble turned to alcohol. And he turned to alcohol to help alleviate the stress, and he became an alcoholic, and after many attempts of his church and elders trying to work with him, they finally had to dismiss him because of his ongoing struggles. How sad. Pastor Noble, in his statement to his church, he says, I turned to alcohol for comfort when I should have turned to Jesus. Friends, that's how idols work. They promise peace, but in the end, they deliver ruin. And all along, God wants to give you peace. He wants to give you real peace. John 10.10, Jesus says, I've come that you might have life and life to the full. You're not going to find that in your idols. You're only going to find it in a relationship with the great I am. Who's your God today? Who or what are you worshiping today? Where do you turn when the pressure mounts and the fears creep in and the worries begin to consume you? Do you have the right God? The second pillar of peace this morning that we come to in Isaiah 41, 13 is we are called to embrace his presence. We trust his person, I am the Lord your God, and then we embrace his presence. I am the Lord your God who takes hold of your right hand. Man, friends, I'm blown away by how specific God gets here. I just love this. God doesn't say, hey, I got your back, buddy, or you know what, I'm gonna be right behind you, or you can always count on me. No, God says, I am the Lord, your God, who takes hold of your right hand. That's how specific God gets. He wants a hand-holding relationship with you. From the time I was a little boy, there's been a saying in my family that was passed down from my grandpa and passed on to me, and I'm passing it on to my kids now. My daddy used to come to me and my brother, and I say this to Caleb and Addie now every day. I say, we're pals, aren't we? Yeah, Dad. And what do pals do? They stick together. What do pals do? They stick together. Friends, God wants to be your pal. Pals stick together. God says, I take hold of your right hand. Friends, when you know God you know that God will never leave you. He will never forsake you. He holds you so firmly by the right hand that he will never let you go. Look at what the Bible says about this. Here's just a sampling of verses. Deuteronomy 31.8. The Lord will never leave you nor forsake you. King David, Psalm 23, verse 4. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Because you are are with me. Look what Jesus said, his last words to his followers, and surely I am with you always, even to the very end of the age. These are God's promises, friends. God is always with us. He'll never let us go. Some of you guys know I'm a big fan of social media and I'm on Twitter all the time. I I love getting updates on my friends and reading the news and I was in my office scrolling through my Twitter account the other day and I noticed that one of my friends had unfollowed me on Twitter. And I was like, what? You know, the way Twitter works is you get people who are interested in what's going on in your life and they follow you. And so I'm looking at this and I'm like, what is, my buddy unfollowed me, what in the world? And all these thoughts started running through my head. You know, I mean, did did I say something to offend him? I mean, is he still mad about that fantasy football game? Or, I mean, I didn't know what, you know, and I was all worried about this all afternoon. Many of you know what that's like with, with Facebook and people unfriending you. Friends, let me tell you something. You never have to worry about God unfriending you. And here's why that's such a powerful truth. Let me share something with you this morning that could potentially revolutionize the way you deal with your fears. The more you come to know God and understand who he truly is in his glory and his power and his majesty and his love and the fact that he wants a relationship with you, the more you grasp that, friends, the less control, fear, and anxiety will have over your life. Why is that? Because when you fear God, you won't fear other things. When you fear God, you won't fear other things. When the Bible talks about the fear of the Lord or fearing God, it's not like being in terror of God. It's, it's, in a, it's a reverential awe. It's an amazement. It's a wonder of all he is and who he is and the fact that he wants to hold my hand. Wow! What would I fear When the God of the universe wants a hand-holding relationship with me. Wow. Friends, are you walking with God today? He wants to walk with you. It's incredible. The third pillar of peace we come to in our passage this morning God says, believe in his promise. I am the Lord your God who takes hold of your right hand and says to you, do not fear. I will help you. When I was a junior in high school, my uh, youth group took a missions trip down to El Salvador. And we were there for three weeks. And one of our days off in El Salvador, we went out to the Pacific Ocean to have an afternoon at the beach and there was a tropical storm blowing in from the pacific coming in the next couple days and so the waves were unusually high that day and the wind was blowing and the tides and currents were stronger than normal and i remember some buddies of mine we were out in the waves about 20 yards offshore body surfing and all of a sudden i realized that i was getting further and further away from the beach And I started struggling, I started paddling, I started trying to walk through the sand to get back to the beach, but it felt like every step I took, I was further and further away from the shore and I started to panic. It's one of those times in my life where I felt like this could be it. I was totally at the mercy of the tides, the riptide that I was caught in. And all of a sudden, I looked out on the shore and my youth pastor had seen me out there struggling. And my youth pastor, he was a mountain of a man, six foot seven, he was a star basketball player at Bethel University, still holds records there today. My youth pastor, Doug, he came wading into the surf. And I remember just seeing him. It, it looked, I mean, it looked like something truly heroic. He came wading through the surf, and he grabbed my hand. He said, Jason, don't fear. And he pulled me into his chest, and he carried me. A 17-year-old boy carried me back to the beach through the power of the current and the tides and the waves. And friends, you know, just like that experience, it's in those times in life when the waves of discouragement seem overwhelming that God wades in and he says, do not fear, I will help you. Corey Ten Boom, one of my heroes of the faith, you may know her from her famous book, The Hiding Place. Corey Ten Boom and her family during the Nazi Holocaust hid dozens of Jews and their families protecting them. By sheltering them in a hiding place, a hidden room in their home. Corey Tenboom, she once said, In times of fear, I don't wrestle, I nestle. In times of fear, I don't wrestle, I nestle. I love that. You see, the reality is when it comes to fear and worries in our lives, we really only have two options you can let your fears overwhelm you, or you can let God. Overwhelm your fears with His peace. King David in Psalm 29:11 he says, "The Lord gives strength to his people. The Lord blesses His people with peace." Friends, are you wrestling or nestling today? Are you trusting God with your fears and worries? God says, "Do not fear. I will help you. And that's a promise, friends. If we can't count on that one, I mean, mean, if we can't count on that, we might as well just pack it up and go home this morning. But God says, do not fear. I will help you. Some of you might be saying, but Jason, you you don't know all the stuff going on in my life today. I mean, I, I hear all this stuff, the pillars of peace, I hear it, but Jason, you don't realize what we're going through as a family right now. And i'm not sure god can really be there for me in the way you're talking i'm not sure he cares about me in our circumstances the way you're talking friends two weeks ago my daughter Addie was having a birthday party and she wanted a slip and slide at her birthday party so i went on amazon.com and i started looking at all the different slip and slides and i wasn't sure what to get so i started like many of you probably have done i started reading the different reviews And as i read the reviews i became more and more convinced which slip and slide i should buy friends if you want to believe and know that god is faithful and he keeps his word and you can trust his promises here's what you do you read the reviews And I guarantee you this room is filled this morning with testimonies of people who've seen God's faithfulness at work. In fact, let me just take a show of hands. How many of you have a testimony of God's faithfulness in your life? Raise your hand if you do. Friends, look around you right now. Read the reviews. Don't take my word for it. Read the reviews. There are hundreds of people this morning who will testify that in the darkest hour, God came through. Let me conclude with this. I was reading a great book this past week by Do- uh, Pastor David Jeremiah. It's called Slaying the Giants in Your Life. In his chapter on fear, Dr. Jeremiah has a great statement. He says, the warrior attempts to live in the future, and that presents him with two problems. The future isn't here, and the future isn't his. Isn't that true, Friends. You know something I might not know what the future holds but I know the one who holds the future and that makes all the difference and the one who holds the future says to you today I am the Lord your God who takes hold of your right hand and says to you do not fear I will help you so hang on let's pray Heavenly Father I thank you for this incredible promise the God who is with us. What an awesome thought that the Lord of the universe cares enough about me and each of us here this morning that he wants a hand-holding relationship with us, that he promises to never leave us or forsake us no matter how dark it gets in our lives. Thank you, Jesus, for how you've come through for me and my family time and time again. And I thank you, Jesus, for the testimonies of faithfulness in this room this morning, and I pray for that person who is looking for hope right now, who needs your peace in their life right now, who's waiting for a miracle right now. And Jesus, I just pray that they would be encouraged this morning by this promise in your word, that they would be encouraged this morning by the testimony of hundreds of brothers and sisters who raise their hands saying, God has come through for me. God, would you meet them and encourage them and sustain them no matter what trial they're facing today? Because you are a faithful God and we can count on you. We thank you, Jesus. In your precious name we pray. Amen.